there's going to be a lot of next gen blockchains that can compete with Solana from a technical perspective, but you're never going to see any L1 launch at the same valuation that Solana launched at just because of how well Solana did in public markets. VCs are not going to let that happen. And people had time to essentially get into the community at those low price levels. And that community aspect is one of the most important pieces of building out an L1 blockchain. This episode is brought to you by Gito. Gito is the easiest way to start earning MEV rewards on Solana through liquid staking. Get your soul, stake it with Gito, and get instant access to liquidity through their liquid staking token, Gito Soul. Get started today at Gito.network slash staking. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we are joined by Ansem. If you don't know Ansem, he's one of the top traders in the space. He's also huge on Twitter. He likes to ship posts, but he also has a lot of alpha and really clear and concise tweets. So Ansem, thanks for joining. Yo, what's good, guys? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Pumped to have you here. I, uh, I, I actually, two years ago, I wrote down the top 10 people in the space based on like the takes that they were getting out. And uh, just yesterday, we interviewed Kyle Samani, and he was on there. And then Ansem, you were also on there. So uh, I'm, I'm pumped to have you on. I think one thing people don't know about you is maybe they see your Twitter posts, um, a lot of your shit posting, but they probably or, or maybe haven't read your articles. And you're a very clear thinker. And I'd love to touch on what you, I think this blog was from March, 2022, and you started it by saying one of the favorite phrases that you took out of the pandemic was terminally online. And I want to know like what that phrase means to you and why it's relevant to crypto and like where the space is headed. Yeah, I can talk about that a bit. Um, So I like, as a kid, I was a big gamer. I was always online. Um, So I played a ton of World of Warcraft. I played League of Legends. Uh, like the backyard football games, all of that. I played on a computer. I actually played with my dad a ton. Um, like I was, I was the kid who would get my work done and then stay on the computer until like two, three a.m. and just be gaming. Um, but it's like recently that trend of being online has converted into making a ton of money, not just in crypto, but also in like streaming, like uh, gaming, um, like esports, all of that. And I think during COVID, you kind of saw that accelerate a ton. Um, and then people were just home all the time and trying to figure out, okay, I'm not making as much money as I want to at my regular job. How can I make money online? And there's just a ton of people that are online, I think, more and more and more. And CEO talks about it, uh, I think, a good way, like very, very eloquently. He's like the metaverse um, is not strictly like games and video games, but just people being online and being in that online state, having their own online persona that's different from what they have in real life. Um And in crypto, if you do that in the right way, you can convert that into actual capital. If you are able to follow like the trends of attention and where people are looking, um, it's just like narratives in crypto as well as like the space and just how it's moving. Um, That's kind of like generally what it means for me. Um, I've been online all the time and then obviously pretty much converted into being in crypto. More and more people are spending more time online. Uh, One of the use cases for like NFTs is people want to own more online because they're spending more time online. They're having their networks online, et cetera. And I think, um, yeah, what what you've written about and who you are really represents that. Um, One of the things you you said you used to play a lot were games. And I know in your writings, you talked about DeFi Kingdoms a lot. What is it that drew you to DeFi Kingdoms and and crypto gaming and why you thought it was so unique? Uh, Well, for me, trading crypto is essentially a video game in itself. Um, on its own. It's a video game that you can make money on. But DeFi Kingdoms was the first application that I saw. I've been bridging to basically every every new chain that dropped a DeFi um, incentive program I was bridging. I bridged AVAX. I bridged, uh, what, to Harmony, Phantom, like all those different places had DEXs where you would do the yield farming. I know you guys know the, the DEX. You look for the dog coin. You look for whatever, the borrow lending um, coin. And that was like the early playbook essentially for people who were doing stuff on chain in 2021 um and then DeFi kingdoms was the first application that i saw in crypto i was like oh this is not just a dex it's also a game has decent graphics it has a soundtrack behind it and it has all these pretty well thought out mechanisms on how they want to design their game um like in the long term in the future and when i saw all the different classes where it's like you can be a i don't know what it was you can be like mage warrior or whatever um all the different classes, I was like, oh, this is like World of Warcraft. I can use these as NFTs and I can level them up in game by doing stuff that I'm doing already. Um, whereas on the DEXs where you were just liquidity, um, like liquidity mining, uh, you're getting tokens, but you weren't really 
leveling up a character in any any way, shape, or form. Um, so that was like my main draw on BFK. It's like I've, I've done this in World of Warcraft. I've grinded up gold, grinded up my my theory crafting, whatever mining um, abilities in those games. I can do this in crypto, but now there's like also like tangible uh, money, monetary value attached to it. Whereas if you're trying to sell your gold in World of Warcraft, you have to sell it to somebody through PayPal or some other uh, like sell your account that way. Um, and I don't, I don't think crypto has done it yet, but I do think it's a great opportunity there where if you have um, the correct game design and the correct incentive structure, um, you can create a fun game that also people have ownership um, and be able to profit off, off playing the game. So it's it diff- it's difficult to find that balance. Um, and DFK, <laughs> what happened with DFK is they grew way too fast, way too quickly. It's difficult to build out all the features in the game they, they wanted to do in a couple of months, but people's attention just blew up on it. It went to like multi-billion dollar market cap. Um, if you actually look at the game now, they've implemented a ton of the stuff that they wanted to earlier, like a year ago. Um, but it's down, it's down like what, 90, 98, 99%. Uh, but yeah, if you go play the game, it's like a lot of the stuff that I was looking at and expecting them to do, um, they actually finished and have done, but that was like my main draw towards the okay. So you said something pretty interesting there that you basically think of maybe crypto trading or whatnot as kind of like a real life video game. Um, and I know you have some good takes on like people commenting on the speculative asset or aspect of crypto. Is this aspect a future or a bug? Like what are your thoughts on this and why? I think it's definitely a feature. So I, it's like it's good and bad. I would say that it's good because the reason crypto has been able to stay along, stay around so long is that the people who are early to these networks um, have that they have such a strong attachment because they were able to profit off these networks growing like the early Bitcoiners who bought it at a, like whatever under a dollar under ten dollars back in 2012, 2013. They're diehard Bitcoiners forever. Um, and it's kind of like almost a religion in that aspect. But they have really core. You need that core group of people who really know like why Bitcoin is poor and why the network has value. Because those are people who are putting bottoms in um, during bear markets when sentiment, public sentiment is low and stuff is down 80%. Um, those are people who still have that vision of like what Bitcoin is, why it's important. And the Ethereum community is the same way. Um, but like that, that aspect of being able to profit off these networks in a way from very early stages is only something that only exists in crypto. Whereas when you have stocks, you're buying somebody's 1,000x immediately um, when it gets listed on public exchange like the Nasdaq or, or, the, or the S&P, whatever. And that happens a, a bit more now because the space is more popularized and there's there's more VC involvement. But there's still that aspect of if you're early to things in crypto, you're going to get much more benefit than you would in other um, in like other asset classes. But then I'll say the the bad part of that is you you also attract a ton of bad actors because crypto is so early as an asset class, you can make a ton of money. Um, of people who are purely looking for that speculative, oh, I can make money off this really quickly. So you also attract bad actors in that way. So there's like a, there's a duality to it. You have the people who are building because they understand why crypto is important and the fundamental value of these uh, decentralized networks, um, be able, being able to exchange value without any third party, uh, build like whatever applications you want on chain immediately. Um, and then you have the people who are just purely trying to make money. So it's it's a, it's a duality, but both, they will always, um, like need to exist, I think. Hey everyone, quick break to tell you about Gito. Gito is the number one liquid staking provider in Solana. Gito has been known for the MEV software and now they're the fastest growing liquid staking provider in the Solana ecosystem. Solana DeFi summer is heating up and what asset do you want to use in DeFi? Liquid staking tokens. Why? Because with Gito, you can take your soul, stake it and get instant access to liquidity through their liquid staking token, Gito Soul. You can then use Gito Soul throughout the Solana DeFi ecosystem while earning yields through MEV rewards and staking rewards with Gito. And Gito makes staking super simple. You can take your soul, stake it, get instant liquidity, and start earning rewards all within three clicks. And not only do they make it simple, they make it secure. Gito has seven audits, they have more than a million souls staked, and they're one of the most respected teams in all of DeFi. Gito is for whales who need deep liquidity. It's also for people like me and you who just want to get started with liquid staking. You have your soul, why not stake it, earn some yield, and start dabbling in Solana DeFi. So go get started today. Check them out at gito.network slash staking. That's gito.network slash staking. I'll put a link in the show notes. Use the link so they know that I sent you and go get started today. Hey everyone, we'll get back to the show in a minute, but I want to let you know that we've got our permissionless conference coming up. 
This is our conference with Bankless. That's the biggest and best conference in DeFi. It's going to be in Austin, Texas this year. Yep, I know you love it. They got tacos, barbecue, Barton Springs. They got it all. September 11th through the 13th. You've been in crypto for a while. You know that the bear market conferences are the best conferences because those are the ones where all the alphas had. The people that are still in crypto all really want to be there. It's going to be great for building a network, for learning a lot. And look, we've got a phenomenal lineup of speakers that include people like Hasu, Stani, Christine Moy, and Kyle Samani. Talking about ZK Tech, rollups, account abstraction, MEV, app chains, and more. Look, I'm damn excited. Because you're a listener of Lightspeed, you're going to get a special discount. Type in discount code Lightspeed30 and you'll get 30% off your ticket. That's right. Just type in Lightspeed30 when buying a permissionless ticket and get 30% off. Click the link at the bottom of this episode and go get it now because prices are going up every two weeks. All right, back to the show. So while we're on the topic of DeFi, I know you're always on the hunt. Um, what what are you most excited about in DeFi right now? Uh, definitely Solana DeFi. I think Solana DeFi is definitely the biggest opportunity for people. Um, you have these DeFi coins on ETH like Uni, Uniswap, um, like Aave, Maker, a ton of coins who have done really well. And they emerged out of the last bear market um, where there wasn't really any ETH DeFi existing at the time. And these are all like multi-billion market cap coins. <clears throat> and Solana DeFi hasn't had that that emergence yet. So the first cycle for Solana was basically just the token, like Sol went parabolic, but all of the early apps on Solana were not, um, like essentially no nobody on Solana made money off any of the early DeFi apps. Like Oxy didn't do well, Maps didn't do well, uh, like what Serum was like, didn't do all that great, underperformed Sol for most of the time. Um, and I think that's just like, it's because it takes a while to build up the developer ecosystem and also like the social community on a chain. And I think Solana's done that over the past couple of years. But now you have a ton of really strong DeFi teams that don't have tokens and are like launching their incentive programs to try and, and get users on their platforms. And I think they've seen pretty significant growth over the past couple of months. And it's also at a period where public sentiment on Solana is super low. So if you have that like divergence of you actually are seeing um, like new growth, but the public sentiment is not matching it, that's opportunity for you as a trader uh, to benefit off of. Whereas stuff like ZK Sync, um, everybody's like, oh, I'm farming ZK Sync. I got, that's like a very common thing. I saw, I saw the airdrop I got with Arbitrum. I'm going to farm this. So there's a ton of people who are like spinning up a ton of accounts farming ZK Sync. Whereas with stuff like Margin 5 Drift, I want to say Drift had 20, like 2,500 users past month. Um, and when it was up from like a, a thousand something the month before and margin five, I want to say is around 5,000. Uh, so you're just, your competition is a lot much smaller um, if you're, you're looking for alpha there. So it's like, you will probably get an outsized portion of whatever airdrop or whatever they do in the future if you um, are early to that. <laughs> you mentioned margin five. I love McBurnan. Um and his tweets, and I know you've talked about this. It says, if you think Solana is stuck as a low TVL chain, you're, prob you're probably a moron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like the Marginify guys because they're like, they're one of the more aggro teams in the ecosystem. They're not afraid to say, like, to talk back to people. Uh, so I like them. They're funny. But he's, he's right, though. He's right. Yeah, he goes into you know the tweet thread, which we don't need to go into it too much, but he talks about TVL to value staked and on ETH at 60% and on Sol it's 3%. Um, and you know, Sol right now has TVL, I think it's about 320 million or 300 million today. And mm. um, but if it gets like if that ratio goes from 3% to 30%, which is half of ETH, then that TVL jumps at 3 billion. So I don't know how great that math is, but um I think the other thing interesting about Solana is they talk about DeFi 2.0 a lot, which is a lot of these projects don't have tokens, um, which you talked about, and they're doing these like points programs. I don't know what I think about DeFi 2.0 because that reminds me of like Olympus DAO and Tokmak that didn't didn't really work out. But um, what what is yeah. your like overall Solana thesis? Because I think you started trading Solana back in 2021, and then mm -hmm. I don't know when you got back into it. I think maybe like December when FTX was falling apart. Part of me was like I saw Ansem on Twitter being like jumping on the Solana train. I was like always oh, just looking for a new ecosystem to be like the influencer of it. But <laughs> that, that, but but at the same time, it, it, you talk about how obvious of, of a trade it was, and like you were just making a, a really smart move. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah. So my original Solana thesis back in like early 2021, um, I missed most of, of DeFi summer. Like I came in DeFi summer late, um, but I saw what happened with DeFi summer and I was, was, was there when gas fees started spiking on ETH. Um, and it was actually Jeremy who pointed me to, towards Solana and Serum um, originally. 
Uh, but but yeah, I was looking at Solana. I was like, well, if there's another um, like L1 that can do what Ethereum is doing, but cheaper, faster, it's a pretty simple thesis. And BNB was like a similar similar thesis. Um, so at that point, it wasn't nearly proven out yet at all. Um, it was more of like the idea behind, oh, this guy SBF is supporting this. It's a cheaper and faster chain. Like looked into Anatoly and read through his his podcast, his interviews, and like his background and where he came where he came from. Um, and it seemed like a pretty uh, like a good hedge against ETH. Um, if you are also betting on the bull market continuing, while well, you're also expecting risk to go down, the risk curve and people to bet on other altcoins. Um, so if people can't do Solana or people can't do DeFi on ETH, they're going to do DeFi on these other chains. So that was the original idea. Um, and then through 2021, 2022, that's like two years of growth in the Solana ecosystem. And I had seen essentially everything evolve there, basically front and center. Um, so I feel like I've been exposed to the ecosystem for a while. I saw what happened, the issues with congestion um, on the chain, like when... They were getting the spam um, from NFC mints and there were essentially no fees. So people were just, oh, I'm going to spam, 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 spam. There were hella bots and it would break the chain. Um, but I think what people miss is a lot of the upgrades that happened uh, during mid 2022 on Solana that kind of made these congestion issues not as much of a problem um, before. And so I was aware of that. And then I also was aware of the public sentiment. And then also you have the FTX blog, which crashed price 80% from the highs. I was in Lisbon um, in late 2022, talking with all the teams there, and nobody was talking about SDF at all. Like people were excited about Solana. People were excited about moving forward with the ecosystem. I think it was trading around 30, like 37, 38. Um, and then we get on a plane to go back to the States. And like we, it was like literally the FTX stuff happened. Um, so it's a combination of price being, I think, down further than it should be. I think it should be around like 40 if that FTX um, thing didn't happen. Then you have like the technical upgrades on the chain. So it's trading at the same price as it was in early 21, but doesn't have any of the issues that it had um, during that same time period. And then you have probably 100x more um, just like social community, developer community, like active DeFi teams in the ecosystem, um, all that happening at the same time. And I, I, told, I, I tweeted it like a couple months before. I was like, I think I'm about to be a soul maxi again soon. I just like have a have a feel for when I think it's about to be time because <clears throat> it had been trading pretty much sideways a few months, still like, like six, seven months sideways um, in this like 20 to 25 area range. But I was like, eventually this is going to get repriced higher just because it's it doesn't make sense that they have the second, like what second most active users, one of the most active developer communities um, and just, in my opinion, a better UX than all the other L1s um, on the market. And it's trading at like whatever, 5% of Ethereum's market cap. I was like, that's way too low. Um, and I also thought, okay, we're at the beginning of a bull market. So this stuff is going to bottom eventually. So it's a pretty good bet to make. Um, so yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to just be the, the influencer of Soul, but I thought it was a, a pretty good, <laughs> pretty cogent uh, thesis, but yeah. You, you actually remember the NFT botting spam problems and congestion due to low fees. Um, but then you said like a lot of people are missing that actually it's actually fixed. So that's actually something I want to talk more about. Like Solana did have a lot of improvements since those days, but the narrative hasn't necessarily upgraded. Why do you think people have such outdated notions about Solana still? Well, I think it's, it's two parts. So you have the community in crypto that doesn't read anything which is like the average person. They're just not going to read white papers, not going to read the developer updates. If I tell you, go look at patch 1.14 on Solana, they're going to be like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, so you have those average people and those people will only listen to the people they think are smarter than them on Twitter or like on podcasts or like on whatever else in crypto. <clears throat> so that's like one group of people that just will, will not do the work to read. And then you have the other group of people in crypto who are very dedicated to what their bags are and like where their money lies. So there's really no reason for them to talk about, oh, I'm going to draw attention to what Solana upgrades are, because that takes away from my work and what I'm doing and where like my like where my money is essentially. Um, so I think it's twofold. It's like the people who don't want to talk about Solana, even though they know what's going on there. And then the people who just have no idea. And it was actually three pieces, I think, then, and it's just like a marketing thing. Um, like Ethereum does an amazing job with marketing all of their like technical achievements, technical upgrades, they do a really good job of that. They have a good um, community that's super supportive of them and all their developers. Um, 
like ETH 2.0 and they upgraded to proof of stake. <clears throat> that was like a huge, huge achievement, which it was. But I think that Solana should have had a similar Sol 2.0 type of movement and push and marketing push when they release like the isolated fee markets quick and like, what is it? The stake weighted quality of service. Um, it's like when they released those three things, that should have been like, this is Solana 2.0. We're not going to have the issues that we had before with all the congestion and then point to literally look at this month over month. We had four outages in the past four months. The past nine months, we have one. So it's like, we, that should be a, a clear draw. Um, that should have been pushed, I think, super hard. Um, it's Yeah, it's like, it's threefold, but yeah, people, people in crypto, I'm not gonna say people in crypto don't wanna, like the average person in crypto who, who doesn't know a ton about crypto, they just don't have the time to research everything on their own. So if they're not given that information, then it, it's hard for people to know about it. Yeah. I think one thing we all like about Solana is like the isolated fee markets, optimizing hardware and software. Um, obviously, not only Solana can do that. Um, maybe they're the only ones that have done it today, but you have Sui, mm -hmm. Aptos, and other chains that are working on it. I've heard right. you talk about Solana's moat, which is probably their community. And a lot of that has to do with when it actually came out in March 2020. Um, I'm curious if you can like expound on that. <clears throat> yeah, so I, th I think... Um... I do agree there's going to be a lot of next-gen blockchains that can compete with Solana from a technical perspective. Um, that, that space is going to get a lot more competitive in the future. But you're never going to see any L1 launch at the same value uh, valuation that Solana launched at just because of how well Solana did in public markets. VCs are not going to let that happen. Uh, so like you're never going to see an L1 with like whatever $300 million vow where it was. And people had time to essentially get into the community at those low price levels, which is why I think even though Solana is still down 90%, or you have a really, really strong community of people that are invested in the ecosystem, very strong developer community. Um, and that community aspect is one of the most important pieces of building out an L1 um, blockchain, in my opinion. So teams like Sui, Aptos, I think Monad's another good one, say um, they're going to have to do a lot of legwork on that that part as far as building out community building out their developer community um and just getting people excited about their their ecosystem so a lot Susana has like a two-year um head start in my opinion on that front um and then as you said like the technical piece they can also also have that advantage currently but um that's something that's easier to catch up on i think so while we're on the topic of you know different l1s and these different kind of chains there's obviously a lot of other chains, right? There's kind of Cosmos, Zapchain, Thesis. There's the L2s and Modularity, which I know you've talked about Optimism before and, you know, Arbitrum. There's now Base with with uh, some interesting shenanigans going on there. Um, and so it's it's super confusing for somebody just entering the space probably, right? Like there's, there's just a lot of stuff. What is your mental framework for navigating all these different kinds of architectures and blockchains? <clears throat> yeah, so I, I try to do... I have a, a, a thesis on, on both parts. So the modular piece, which is like separating the execution layer, separating the settlement layer, separating the data availability layer. Um, and then the monolithic piece, which is like we're gonna do everything on one blockchain. Um, my current thought process is it makes the most sense to scale the base layer as far as you can um, before you add these other L2s on top. Uh, so for people who don't have <clears throat> that general general notch, Ethereum is focusing more on the modular architecture, meaning that Ethereum wants to be uh, settlement layer and data availability, data availability layer for these other rollups. So they want to push as much execution off-chain for these other blockchains as possible, like Optimism, Arbitrum, ZK Sync. Um, and then essentially just have Ethereum be the most secure um, layer and settle all of the proofs of these transactions that happen on these other chains on Ethereum. Uh, so one of the reasons I'm really big on the Cosmos ecosystem is because they've been pushing the modular architecture for a really long time. Um, like their whole thought process around app chains is essentially that that modular thesis. We want each specific blockchain to have its own, um, like to have its own own thing, own own focus. Um, that's kind of like kind of similar to what Ethereum's looking at with rollups. But in in the Cosmos ecosystem, you also have teams like Celestia um, and Dimension. Which are focusing on being dimension wants to be a modular settlement layer. Celestia wants to purely be uh, modular data availability layer, and then have rollups built on top in, in the Cosmos ecosystem. So, I try to try to think through like how I want exposure to the modular thesis as well as the monolithic thesis, 
Um, I kind of lean more towards the Cosmos ecosystem right now. Um, I really like the Optimism team and what they're doing uh, with the OP stack because they essentially want as many rollups to use their SDKs as possible and be able to interchange whatever DA layer or whatever um, like infrastructure you're building um, on top, but still be able to use the OP stack. Um, I think they want to operate with like a shared sequencer across, across all the rollups. But yeah, I try to think of it and I try to have exposure to both. Um, but I think it just makes sense to scale the base layer the furthest you can um, before you do anything else, because you're always going to be restricted by how scalable that, that layer is, whether you're just pushing proofs to it or, or whatever else, like you're still going to be restricted by how scalable that layer is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you cannot cheat physics as I like, as I like saying there. Um, so actually, I think you said something interesting there. You said you preferred uh, maybe the Cosmos approach a bit more, which I think is probably non-consensus, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously there's L2s and maybe the new L2 app chains, and then there is Cosmos, which maybe are competing quite a bit. And you said you kind of favor Cosmos. What is everybody missing there? Like, how, how do you think about those two things and why should people care about Cosmos? Yeah, well, it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely not a, a popular thesis because uh, it's not proven out yet. Cosmos has probably, I think, the least mindshare and like activity out of those top three. If you look at top three, like Cosmos ecosystem, Ethereum ecosystem, Solana, Cosmos probably has the least mindshare from users uh, and like activity from that perspective. Um, so my, my thinking on why I like Cosmos so much is if you were to design um, a modular architecture from the ground up, I think that you would build something more similar to something like Celestia and have the roll-up separate um, for all their individual roll-ups separate, or that's, that's sovereign roll-ups or something else, instead of building out something like Ethereum, which I think really pivoted to the modular architecture after figuring out that Ethereum didn't scale um, with how it's currently designed as an L1. So it's like you're you're pivoting to something, but we have a ton of tech debt. And that's why a like a lot of the Ethereum upgrades take so long to do because they just have a ton of, of tech debt that they need to get over whenever they're implementing something new. Um, and that's why they're very, very, very safe with all the upgrades that they make. That's why it take a while. And I think that the Ethereum developer community is super strong in that regard. Like they don't want to break anything. That's their number one priority is not break anything on Ethereum before we um, move forward. Um, I think that's good as Ethereum, the push for why Ethereum ecosystem is going to be the strongest forever that that community has is because it's the most secure. Um, but in my head, I'm like, we're only at 500K, whatever, 700K daily actives. I mean, less than that, if you're talking about people who are actively using all the DeFi protocols. So if you look out in the future, say 10 years, and we have what, tens of millions of users in crypto, which is hopefully the case. I don't think that that moat that Ethereum has, which is purely from a time perspective, as I see it, that security advantage is going to be as powerful as having the best technical um, infrastructure when you have, because you can catch up on all these new users joining into crypto in the future. So if you have all these new users that outweigh the current cohort of really rich people on chain, it's like, what are they going to use first? They're going to use whatever team has the best UX, whatever like experience is the best for people. Um, that's kind of how I think through it. It's definitely not proven. Um, and I think Zachy, Zachy had a really good tweet uh, a few months ago. He was like, Cosmos has six months to really gain mindshare in crypto, or it's like, you're going to have a ton of, of catching up to do. Um, I think they'll do well. Like there's a, there's a ton of teams building out in the Cosmos ecosystem over the next few months that should, um, should get attention more that way. But yeah, that's my, my general thought process. I, I agree with you on Cosmos. One thing I am curious about is, and a lot of people have been talking about this, but Cosmos and Ethereum in some ways are almost converging on like their path and what they think the future is going to be. Yeah, right. Like you, it, it's been very clear at this point, but I'm wondering like on the path dependency here, like you're bullish Cosmos, but that doesn't necessarily mean the Cosmos hub and, and Atom itself versus like ETH, the asset, and none of this is financial advice. <laughs> but, but, but my thoughts on this is that because Ethereum started as like this single logical state that the whole community got around and now it pivoted to rollups versus something like Cosmos, which had this like vague vision of what Atom was going to be. It always knew there's going to be all these different applications with their own tokens. It never had that like coherent, strong community that ETH has. And now you see the rollups like Arbitrum and Optimism and others who are like pledging allegiance to, to Ethereum for really no reason other than just to latch onto that community, whereas you don't really see that in Cosmos. So I'm curious how you think about that and, and maybe what you think about the hub itself and Adam. 
Yeah, dude, it's it's the hardest. Uh, it's the hardest. I would say the, the biggest struggle for them, honestly, like that modular thought process is like there's no one winner. So it's like you don't have people to to join around and center around one one uh, one chain, one person. Um, yeah, so it's tough. It's like that. That's one thing that Ethereum community has done really well. But I think these newer Cosmos teams are aware of that and kind of see in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, like the DOIDX CEO, I think, talked about it a bit. He's like, I don't want to be seen as a Cosmos chain. I want to be seen as DYDX, like an individual chain in the Cosmos ecosystem. And we're our own like thing. I think that's kind of the right mindset that you're going to have to have if you're working on bootstrapping a community on your own. Um, I think the Say guys have, have done a pretty good job of, of pushing towards that as well. Like they want to really rally um, their community in the early stages. Um, funny enough, like a pretty bad example, Luna, um, which obviously blew up a ton of stuff in Cosmos, but what they did a really good job of was evangelizing their community, like the Terra, I don't know what they used to call them, the Terra people or whatever. They the, were super, the, the Lunatics, I think. The, the Luna, like yeah, the Lunatics. The lunatics, lunatics, there we go, yeah. Yeah, so the Lunatics, they were like super gung-ho on, on Luna and like everything Doquan was doing. Um, he was a really great figurehead in, in like bringing people around, even though the the technical uh, like effort behind it was not solid. Um, but I think you need a leader like that around a certain chain that's going to be able to rally people and, and bring community. That's like a really important aspect that people don't really talk about as much, I think, in the, in the Cosmos community. Like they have a ton of really smart devs. Uh, but like the marketing and the like community aspect around individual chains is kind of weak. Um, so yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough being bullish on Cosmos as a like ideology, but then like okay, what do I buy in the Cosmos ecosystem like to make money? Um, so it's like yeah, I'm I'm not as as bullish on Adam Kurt like right now compared to stuff like Solana. I think Solana is probably a better bet because of how mispriced it is. Um, but yeah, there's a few chains. Over there, at that, I think are good, good setups right now that, I, that people are kind of flying under the radar. So, in the previous question, you mentioned the word tech debt uh, on Ethereum, which is something that generally software engineers talk about a lot. Which reminds <laughs> me, you're actually a uh, previous software engineer, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, with that said, I want to ask two questions uh, regarding that. Because most people in the space that are, you know, maybe traders don't have that technical background and don't really understand what they're talking about when they're when they're commenting on technical architecture. But you actually have an edge there. <laughs> um, so, OK, like the first question is, how do you think your software engineering background helps with in terms of how you think about blockchains, if it, if it even does? And two, if you were building something today, which chain would you pick and why? Um. <clears throat> Yeah, I think it, it helps. It helps a bit. It helps me like being able to understand all these papers that people put out and read through all the information. Um, it, it's, I think, easier for me to digest than your typical person who doesn't uh, understand anything about crypto at all or tech at all. Uh, I think it definitely helps me in that that regard, like doing FA research. Um, but honestly, I have not like I have not been an active developer in like all three like ecosystems and compared to like the dev tooling myself personally. Like I've done some stuff. Some like basic stuff, but nothing like really, really in depth that would be able to formulate an opinion. Okay, this has the best like onboarding um, for for devs. Uh, so I can't really speak to that that much. Um, but like just generally, um, I probably would say Solana, just because I think that you have a combination of a ton of people who are looking at that ecosystem, like from a social perspective, the community perspective, um, and then like obviously. I use Ethereum all the time. I, there's no application that is going to be able to scale really on on that L1. Um, like I've seen, and it's even like Arbitrum Monopolism, like they spike whenever you had like I think when the Arbitrum airdrop happened, fee spikes like ten dollars, whatever it was. So just like there's much more throughput, like much lower fees on Solana. So if you want to build any global application, in my head, I want to build something for ten million plus people that are going to be using it every day. Um, and just the way that Solana is architected, it just makes the most sense. Yeah, I, I think one of your like secrets to being a good trader and also talking about this and reading about it is that you actually use the product. You've like probably used ten thousand chains at this point. I, I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to know how many wallets you have or or how hard your taxes would be. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, like as you've explored all these different chains, like what what are either your favorite products that you're using or have used or 
what do you what do you think's missing? Like what what does Solana need to actually build out that next step? The the biggest thing that I think Solana and, and other crypto applications need is a focus on people who aren't in crypto. Um, and that's like where I really want to focus a lot of my time over the next few months is how do I make how do I bridge that gap between people who have absolutely no no understanding of crypto at all? I don't know what crypto is and bring them into crypto. Like what applications do those people want to use? Um, and I don't know if that's like more social stuff, more NFT stuff. I kind of lean towards that um, as like a, a good way to onboard people. Like I know if I give some of my friends maybe some ETH or some Bitcoin, they're like, oh, I have some ETH or some Bitcoin. But if I give one of my friends an NFT, it's like, oh, I have an NFT. I'm a part of this community. We share this with all these different people. Um, and it's kind of like a, a more communal thing. So I really like what Drip House is doing. Um, they're one of the newer apps on Solana. Um, they're kind of comparable to art blocks on ETH where they do drops with art. But instead of doing mints, they do free drops for people every week. Um, and they give out all these art to people who subscribe to different artists on their platform. And then you can tip the artists if you really like their their work um, and then share it with other people. But they've, um, I want to say they've sent out NFTs to something crazy like 700K, 800K wallets. And out of those new wallets on their platform, 250K of them have gone to use other Solana apps in the ecosystem. So they've done a, a pretty good job of onboarding completely new people. Like you, you don't need any Solana in your wallet to get the NFT. Um, it's completely free. Now you have, and you're like, oh, now what else can I do in the ecosystem? So I think they're doing a really good job of onboarding people. Um, stuff like that. I just think more applications along those lines. Um, and then I, I'm still big on gaming. I, I don't think anybody's really hit it hard yet. You need something. It doesn't really have to be all that complicated. Um, but I think about a lot of the mobile games, stuff like Flappy Bird and games of those types, where they weren't really that complex, but they did a really good job of getting people's attention. And I think crypto has a really great lane there to do that, especially with Solana focusing on Solana Mobile um, and App Store and everything else with XNFTs and backpacks, stuff like that. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. So you mentioned uh, Drip, Drip House. I'm just going to quickly show we we did an episode with Drip if people want to listen to that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree, especially on the reaching out to people who aren't even in the market uh, or at least in crypto and, and mm. getting those guys in. I think that's the biggest unlock. And um Something interesting you said there is about um, attention, right? Um, you are very good at the Bird app, or I guess it's called the X app now. Yeah. Um, and crypto does play a very big, or I mean, the Bird app does play a very big role in crypto in, in general, um, which which is kind of weird, I would say. I don't think many industries have this much reliance on a single communications channel. Yeah. How do you think about that? Like, how should people think about using Twitter for crypto? I honestly don't know, man. I like, I've been active on Twitter since like 2012 or like super early. So my, people always ask me like, why are you docs on Twitter? Like, why are you one of the only people in crypto who's docs? And I tell them all the time, it's because my Twitter was my college Twitter, like my high school, like my Twitter that I had um, in college was the same Twitter that I used for crypto. I was just always tweeting out random stuff about whatever was going on during the week. Like when we would go out to parties and stuff, I would tweet about that. Like I'll tweet about whatever I'm doing with my boys. Um, I was just always tweet because I was always online anyway. I went from Tumblr to Twitter and I was just in my space like online. So then I, when I found out about crypto in like 2016, 2017, I was like, okay, who do I follow on Twitter to learn about crypto? And that's when I guess got into crypto Twitter, followed people like Kobe, Trader Main, um, all those people, I would say for people who like are not in crypto, you definitely need to be on crypto Twitter because there's no other place on the internet where you can get a, such a, like large concentration of alpha information, free information, people like all these different types of discussions only live like there on Twitter. And I've learned probably like 90% of what I learned about crypto has come in some way from Twitter, whether it's like linking out to a blog post, linking out to somebody's account, like learning about trading stuff, learning how rotations work. Um, like Kobe, I don't know if you guys know Kobe's pyramid. He had like a, a pyramid of his portfolio breakdown. And he was like, top 40, 50%, you do Bitcoin ETH. 30%, you do mid cat vaults. 20%, you do whatever. 10%, you do like giga, degen stuff, shitcoin stuff. And that's like that, that just thinking, thought process. I didn't have that coming into crypto. Didn't know how to trade before crypto. Um, 
and how crypto market cycles work are different from a lot of other asset classes because they're so rapid paced because the, the industry is so new. And the only reason you're going to learn how to trade any of that, uh, like those rotations and like narrative shifts in crypto is by being on crypto Twitter. So like a lot of that, I would say if you're, if you're new to crypto and learning about crypto, you got to be on Twitter. As far as from a protocol perspective, I do think that push and marketing push um, is big on Twitter. I honestly didn't realize it as much into the past, like this past year. Um, but I was like, I don't really know what I don't really know what marketing people do. Like I don't really know what like the the core like day to day of, of a marketing person is. But I realized like a lot of people focus all their attention on what people are talking about on Twitter. So if you don't have a big presence on Twitter, you could be building the greatest like technical whatever protocol to exist. But if it's not like big and people don't know about it, um, nobody's gonna use it. So it's like it's a it's a huge piece um, for like spreading the word about your your protocol. Ansem, I remember you tweeting. Ansem would do these threads. It's probably like a year ago. He'd do a thread, but the threads would never be attached. He'd like do a tweet like every hour or like 45 minutes. So you never knew what he was talking about. He's just like just trolling, trolling everybody. But that, that's one thing I really like about you, Ansem, is that like you don't take yourself too seriously. And that's something like in crypto, probably uh, people don't do on average, like um, especially a lot of like group think going on. I, I'm curious what, what, um, what do you like not like about crypto? Like it, it could be a hard industry to, to stay in year after year as the market implodes. And, you know, there's a few th cringe things that happen throughout the ecosystem. Like one, like, what do you not like? And then like, what keeps you in it? Oh, do I not like about crypto? Um, yeah, I think that the markets, as far as from a market's perspective, there's not really much I don't like. I think the opportunity outweighs all the volatility, like the blowups and stuff. That's like a challenge for me. So, I, I was mad during the the Luna blow up because um, I actually was out like I was out with my family actually Mother's Day, but I was like, dang, that was like easy like killer short. If I like like whoever caught that printed off that short, like yeah, a lot of people got crushed on the other side of it, but like those opportunities for traders only exist stuff like that in crypto. Um, so like the volatility aspect doesn't really bother bother me all that much. Um, I would say probably the, the thing that bothers me the most about crypto is just like some of the community, like some of the, the people like online, the Anon kind of like the Anon culture is kind of similar to stuff. I don't know. You guys know like 4chan, the old 4chan boards. Um, and they're just like some people who just say a lot of crazy stuff online. I get a ton of DMs from Anon people or like saying whatever that I know would never say anything like that to me in real life. Um, that's probably really the, the only issue I have, like with crypto, like crypto, crypto Twitter. Um, other than that, it's pretty cool. I would say, like, out of all the people that I've met from online that I meet in real life, are great people. So, like everybody that comes outside and leaves their house are like is are cool people. But it's like the people who are purely online, like came from whatever message board, um, and are only sitting at their desk, like typing, typing, typing. Some of those people can be pretty, pretty, pretty weird. But, but yeah. So I know. There's obviously people watching this who 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 want a better Twitter game and you have one of the best. What what advice would you give them? How should they use the bird app? I, honestly, the, the, the best advice I would say is to be genuine. Like I would say people people are much more willing to listen to what you have to say when they know that you're not hiding anything from people. Um, like I've shared so many losses on, on Twitter, so many of my losing trades, also all my, like my winning trades, but it's all there publicly. Like I don't, I don't delete stuff. I'm like, Oh, I did this when I didn't really do it. Um, so it's like, I think being genuine and just being true to yourself and, and like what your actual personality is, is invaluable, especially in a place like crypto Twitter, where a lot of the people are faking stuff and trying to get people to believe things that aren't necessarily true. Um, because even if you don't think people can tell, like people can tell, people can and really um, tell, like when you're a genuine person and you're being honest about whatever you're sharing. Um, so I try to be open as possible. And then also just like really responding to as much people as I can. Um, like a lot of the friendships that I've made, like in real life friendships, were, were from responding to some random anon when they had like five followers on Twitter. And they're like hitting me up in my replies and I just hit them back. And they're like DM me a couple of times, I hit them back. And I'm in a Discord with them. And they're like, yo, I'm going to be here in this country during this time. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to be here. And then we link. And it's like, oh, you're my homie now. And like we we link up in places like all over now. 
and that's happened a ton of times um, with people. And I think it's 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 kind of easy to find online which people you like really vibe with and sync with. It's kind of like um, I don't know how to explain it. It's like it's online. It's like an online vibe check, and then you meet them in person. It's like an in real life vibe check, and it's like the people that you have those connections with is huge. Um, so I would say, yeah, just be as responsive as you can to people because you never know who's going to be your like friend that you meet. Um, and then down the line, there's somebody that you may be working on something with. So I would say be genuine and, and talk to people as much as possible. Love that. Um, we're coming up on an hour, so we'll just we'll ask a few more questions. One thing, I think it was in a Twitter space yesterday, you said that the next six months for crypto are really important, something that you're watching. Um, yeah, why do you say that? Yeah. Uh, See, so yeah, I, I, you guys have seen I've I've converted into full bull full bull mode. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think the reason for that is like the next six months I think are the last time that crypto is going to be seen as a like fringe asset class. Um, so if you look at what BlackRock is pushing with their spot ETF, Grayscale like with their spot ETF, and a ton of these like big traditional financial uh, corporations building out stuff for crypto. Like, oh, we're going to be the ones who own all the exchanges. We're going to be the ones who own all the rails. We're going to be the ones who own everything going into crypto. And once that happens, crypto is no longer a small thing on the side. It's like now it's going to get passive flows to Bitcoin, passive flows to Ethereum. Um, and then once that happens, that opens the door for just a lot more money to flow into the space in general. Because crypto is right now, I want to say we're like 2 trillion market cap or maybe smaller than that. Um, and BlackRock alone manages 10 trillion. Like if you compare how small crypto is to the bigger stock market, we're tiny. Um, so this is the last bear cycle, in my opinion, where you kind of have that outsized opportunity as a retail trader, retail investor to get into a really early asset class that has outperformed everything else in the past decade. Um, and then once it's a multi-trillion dollar asset class and it stays there, then the volatility is going to drop a ton. Um, you're still going to have like altcoins in the mid cap range, do whatever, but the volatility just in general is going to drop a ton. And I think it's going to be like less opportunity than previous cycles after it's it's that big, just because stuff gets dampened um, when it's that big of an asset class. And that's like one of the advantages that we have right now, everything that we're doing on chain, like being early to stuff. I don't think you're ever going to have an opportunity where you're like one of 5,000 new users on a platform like in a, in a bear market. Like I, I, that's, that's something that I don't think people are taking, um, that pe I think people are taking it too much for advantage right now. That's why I'm like super heavy on the, on the bull post. Like charts can do go up and down 20%, but you, if you're thinking out six months plus, um, I think it the most opportunities right now. Do you think Bitcoin needs to, to rally again? Like does Bitcoin then send off the rest of the market? I know like the happening is happening. I think it's March, 2024. Like, do you think that still needs to happen where Bitcoin leads the way and then risk capital slowly, um, you know, kicks out to more and more risk? Um, <clears throat> I think, I think it, it, it will happen. Um, I don't think it needs necessary to happen for you to generate alpha in, in other areas of crypto. Like if Bitcoin and Ethereum are chopping around, there's currently enough opportunities in the market where if they go sideways, you can still find plays to long and, and um, opportunities protocols to be early too. Um, but yeah, like once Bitcoin re-rates higher, like if it goes back to 50 or whatever K, that's like not only are the Bitcoin holders like up a ton in profits, but the new cycle is going to hit. So it's like, oh, Bitcoin's back near all-time high. Ethereum's back near all-time high. And when that happens, that's when you also have a ton of the retail, like, oh, it's time to buy crypto again. And then the money trickles down across the board, like across the risk curve, like you said. So that always, that's always going to happen in crypto. Um, I do think that like the rallies in Bitcoin are probably going to get progressively weaker. Um, like the one we had last cycle, I think went to like 69K and previous high was 20K. But before that, it was something like whatever, 1, 1K or whatever to 20K. Um, so I do think it's going to like progressively just like be smaller cycles, less volatile, like not as not as parabolic on the majors, <clears throat> which is why which is one of the reasons why I'm so confident in Solana outperforming ETH. And I, I don't know why people push back on it so hard, but it's like if the ecosystem doesn't die, it's very unlikely that you have a $250 billion asset outperform something that's $10 billion dollars. Um, just generally in crypto, that's how how the altcoins work. If if Bitcoin and Ethereum re-rate higher, it's okay. Like what else is gonna re-rate higher? That's a solid um alt in crypto. Um, 
So yeah, I think it, it, it will happen. It doesn't like need to happen for stuff to do well in the interim, but but yeah. You just mentioned, you know, um, why do people push back on it so hard? Like you don't you don't know why this is. And uh I've I've seen people push back on it quite a bit. Yeah. Uh and very aggressively as well. <laughs> yeah. Uh what do you have to say to these people? Like, how should, you know, how should we handle these people? Because I've I've seen you, I've seen you do God's work here, but uh, I'm just I'm just curious, <laughs> what, what's your approach here? Well, I, I mean, what I say is like I'm I'm supportive of everybody in crypto that's building something to bring news into crypto and like move the space forward. I'm fully in support of all of that. Um, like supportive of Ethereum, supportive of Cosmos, like all all the rollups. I I like all those teams. Um, I think that the industry as a whole needs to be more honest about what the backdrop of the like the current state of the industry is. Like you can still be bullish ETH and you don't have to talk bad about Solana. You can still be bullish Solana and you don't have to talk bad about optimism or talk bad about Arbitrum. But you can also be critical of these protocols. Like you can say that rollups maybe are centralized more than they should be right now. You can say that Ethereum can't scale past whatever TPS on mainnet right now and that high fees are not good for people who don't have a hundred dollars to spend on each transaction i think you can be honest about each ecosystem's pitfalls while <clears throat> while also championing them because in my for my like from my perspective there's a ton of developers in the solana ecosystem um but they can't be like oh i'm bullish on i'm bullish on i'm bullish on because they're not like they're not objective obviously they're working on solana protocols um so that's one of the reasons like i'm so bull Solana publicly on Twitter is because like I feel like I can help them um, in that regard. But that's what I'll say. I think people just need, need to be more honest about how we talk about the state of crypto um, and not try and confuse new people because like a lot of a lot of the marketing efforts I think from some teams is are like intentionally confusing to new people in crypto just to like pump whatever their coins are, which I think is really net negative for the the industry as a whole. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I would say. I'm, I'm supportive of everybody, but I think we can be honest also. So I love that. I love that answer. Um, <laughs> hey, Mert, do you want to, do you want to do a fire round? Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Do you have anything else or let me just go? Let's do it. All right, sir. So we are now going to do a rapid fire. Uh, I will ask you not so pointed questions, but I will ask you some aggressive questions and just try to answer them. Quick, short, but if you want to expand on it, obviously go ahead. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right. Your favorite three DeFi protocols in crypto? Uh, Marginify, Drift. Can I say one that's not out yet? Uh, no? Sure. Yeah. Up to that team, but yeah. <laughs> um. Well, they're like public. Well, I think I think pair pair is cool. Like pair protocol because they're like. All I do is pair trading. A lot of the pair trading I do, so they're like one. They're, I think they're they're um not out yet, but that's a cool one. Your favorite three NFT collections? Oh man, uh, definitely the Romilios, Romilio babies. Um, dang, the pandas, Campai pandas, and I'm gonna say the Lotus Lotus NFTs. Oh, nice. Three most overrated chains. <laughs> oh, <wow>. Polygon, <laughs> Polygon is number one. Um, Polygon is like a hundred chains, so it's confusing. Yeah, bro, I can see Polygon <laughs> three times. It's like three different things. Uh, Polygon, Harmony. Damn, I don't want to say no. I'm going to say Polygon twice and then Harmony. <laughs> <laughs> throwing, throwing back to earlier in the conversation, DeFi Kingdoms launched on Harmony, which is an L1, and then they uh, deploy it as a subnet on Avalanche. So Anson, I'm curious what you think about Avalanche right now. I like Avalanche. Um, I think, <clears throat> so one of the things I, I push back on Luigi and them all the time on AVAX is because they don't have, they didn't have anything like IBC, which Cosmos has um, with their chains where all the chains can easily communicate with each other. It's like a standardized messaging protocol. <clears throat> um, but now AVAX has built out, I think it's called, what's it called? Um, I think it was called Warp probably cross chain Warp. communications something yeah something like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like CXMTP <laughs> yeah close yeah but some some like AVAX warp messaging um so they're building out that which is like makes it easier for all the the subnets to talk to each other and then mm -hmm. also their hyper SDK which is supposed to allow different VMs to be easily built out um on top of all of these subnets 
Um, I think they're they're interesting because they focus more on the institutional side, um, and they're like BD yeah. is pretty strong. Um, so that's like one thing that differentiate them from other chains. Like they're really heavy on the the Web two partnerships. You like writing? What's your number one writing tip for aspiring writers? To write every day. That's my number one tip. Literally, like if you can write something every single day, like whatever you're thinking about, just be consistent on doing that. You will get better consistently, consistently, consistently. Um, I like try and journal like as frequently as possible, but I think it's really like you gotta be that's really the biggest thing is consistency. Cause like you may think, oh, this isn't that good, but like you write, you read, you write, you read, re you reiterate and just like keep going, keep going, keep going. I think that's that's probably the biggest thing. Um and also ask your friends. Like I have a ton of smart friends um in crypto that are like like I, I can ask about really anything. Um so yeah, I would say like bounce bounce your ideas off your homies. Your three favorite apps in crypto overall? Drip House. Um, I like Play the Heist right now. It's like a, a game, NFT game. Maybe Quinta on Optimism. Um, yeah. Your most controversial take in crypto? My most controversial take? I, <laughs> I think my most controversial take is probably the Solana point one ETH. Like, I, I, I'm pretty confident that's where it's going um, this next cycle. Like the as price uh, price prediction, I think that's that's probably my most controversial take. <laughs> what what's something a year ago that you like strongly had a belief in that you've completely changed your mind on? I think it might it might be Adam two hundred bill. I like I, one of them like my rare. I did I did a a list of like um, things that like had low possibility chance of happening, but I thought like could happen at, at the beginning of twenty twenty two. And I said Adam's like a hundred billion market cap. Um, I think it's honestly more realistic that you have a conglomerate of chains that get to that that size or like com that combined more than just Adam um, as a hub getting that big. That's probably what I was saying. Your favorite three Twitter follows? Oh man, that's hard. <laughs> oh my god, that's a good question. My favorite three Twitter follows. Let's make it five. <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> Dang, can I check Twitter real quick? Let me see. Dude, I would have said Kobe. <laughs> I was like, it would have been Kobe, I feel like, maybe. But he doesn't tweet anymore. He's, he's gone. Yeah, I mean, Kobe's like all-time, probably like one of the most, the my favorite accounts for sure. Yeah. I, I, think, I, I feel like I got to shout out some of the new guys, bro. Like, I like V-Horny. V-Horny is cool. Lucas is cool. Um... Who else is cool? Mert asks us questions so that someone will say him eventually. <laughs> <laughs> I like Mert. Mert's, Mert's cool. Mert's cool. Um, dang, that's tough, bro. Mission accomplished. <laughs> Air Mass. Oh, Air Mass. Air Mass is the homie. And uh, nice. BDB, Big Dick Bull. Nice. When you said Lucas, are you talking about uh, Buffalo? Or is that which Lucas? Uh, nah, the, the schizo poster. Okay. Um, um, what's his name? Schizo. I think schizo underscore F R E Q. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. I got a random one. Um, I know you're really into basketball. So if we're playing a game to 20 is five on five, how many of the points are you scoring? Five on five. Are we, are we playing with crypto people? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all crypto people. Probably like 14, 14 nice. points. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, favorite NFL team? Eagles. Easily. Eagles. Favorite NBA team? Sixers. Who should everybody block on crypto Twitter? <laughs> Dang, who should everybody block? Bro, all the... Dang, who don't even have that many people blocked, bro? I don't know. I don't really block people. I mute people. All right. Um, right. We, we, we can... Uh, Maybe that one's a little targeted. <laughs> <laughs> and so we'll, we'll end it on a wholesome note. What's like one piece of advice you'd give to, I don't know, just anyone listening to this? And that could be in crypto or outside of it, just something that's really helped you. I think, I think I've been pretty consistent. Like my, my biggest piece of advice in crypto is like keep your balance between crypto and whatever you got going on in like life. So it's like during bull markets, you're going to make a ton of money if you are online all the time 24 hours like not sleeping not getting good rest 
but currently tapped in like, oh, I, I'm I'm close. Like I'm on every new launch. Like I'm on every new chain. Like I'm on every every new rotation. You catch everyone. You'll make a ton of money that way if you really just like cut everything out um, in your life and do that. But the issue with that is when market turns, it's a lot more difficult for you to unplug and then go back to whatever else you were doing. Um, so like it's not it's like it's it's like beneficial in the time, but it, you also like lose a ton of, of just like in real life stuff. Like I think it's much better to have a good routine where you're you're balanced. Um, you can go obviously heavier on crypto in bull markets, but don't just go like hundred percent and not talk to your homies, not talk to your friends, like not not hoop or whatever, and and to keep um, active. So I say like, that's that's the biggest thing. Don't get sucked into being hundred percent in the in the bull market. Great advice. Great advice. Yeah. Well, Anson, thank you so much for joining. Everybody, you need to follow Anson on Twitter. I'll put links. Um, also to his blog. Go read them. Even the older ones. They're really insightful. So, um, Anson, yeah, thanks for joining, man. This is an awesome conversation. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Sweet. All right. We'll see you next time.